Are you ready for the word? Come on, let's stand together. Stand if you can. For our passage this morning is from Leviticus chapter 26. Do not make idols or set up carved images or sacred pillars or sculptured stones in your land so you may worship them. I am the Lord your God. You must keep my Sabbath days of rest and show reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you the seasonal rains. The land will then yield its crops and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest and your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain and you will eat your fill. Can I get an amen from that? All right, we, we like that. And live securely in your own land. I will give you peace in the land. And you will be able to sleep with no cause for fear. I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. All of your enemies will fall beneath your sword. I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile, multiplying your people, and I will fulfill my covenant with you. You will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. I will live among you, and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your heads held high. Come on, give him a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. And let's pray this morning. Father, we need you. You have set us free. You have called us. And we've come for you. And your presence is an open door. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and open our hearts and bind all distractions. You are moving among us. Do all that you desire. We're ready to listen and obey and cooperate with your will. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, you may be seated. All right, man, you know it's going to be a good Sunday when we're going to the book of Leviticus. Am I right? (laughs) Is there anything more exciting than digging into 613 Jewish laws? Get your hashtags ready, people. Which, it, look, it reminds me of a time that we were in this service and, uh, and the worship team started singing a song that they had kind of writ, wrote themselves that was from the book of Leviticus. God bless, God bless them. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> look, look, I, I love it, but I get it. Look, maybe it's not the book that we immediately flip to when we need a word from the Lord, right? We don't think, God, I just, I need more joy and peace in my life. What do you have for me today? Flip, 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 Leviticus. 1340, if a man loses his hair and his head becomes bald, he is still ceremonially clean. Amen. Wow, perfect. That's what I, all the bald men said. All right. (laughs) See, there's something for all of us in God's word. But stick with me, please. No, No mass exodus to the parking lot. 
<laughs> you see what I did there? Uh, you'll get it later. No, this chapter, it comes as an amazing series of promises from God for those who walk with him in obedience. And there's so many great promises in that chapter. I mean, look back at it. I will give you peace. You will eat your fill. You'll live securely in your land. I will look favorably upon you. You'll have a surplus. All your enemies will fall beneath your sword. These are great promises. So let me ask you this. Why does God make any promises at all? I mean, as parents, you know, we use promises as leverage, right? Right? Sit still and be quiet during the church service, and then afterwards I'll get you a happy meal from McDonald's, right? Or, you know, you sit and go potty on the potty, and I will buy you a pony, right? (laughs) I mean, other parents. Other parents bribe their kids. None of us do that. Okay. No. See, God doesn't use bribery. He gives us promises, but he doesn't have to do that. He's God. He doesn't need anyone, and he doesn't need anything. He creates everything with his words. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my provision. He doesn't need favors from me. He doesn't owe anything to anyone. So why? Why make promises to anyone? Because he has everything. He is the great I am. And on that point alone, God should just be able to say, do this, and then we do it. You know, no incentive needed, no promise attached, we just do it. Why? Because he's God and we're not, period. Shortest Bible ever, right? But no, no, he makes us promises. In fact, one account says there are 3,573 promises in the Bible. And then a man named Dr. Herbert Lockyer wrote a book called All the Promises of the Bible, and he claims to list 8,000. Look, anywhere in that spectrum, that's a lot of promises. Especially when you consider that God never had to make one. But through his promises, God is showing us something. He's showing us the greatness of his goodness. He's showing us his desire to have a relationship with us and the passion with which he loves us, even though we have done nothing to deserve that. God is love, and love makes promises. I said love makes promises. Real love is not on Tinder looking for a hookup, okay? Real love is not like, hey, hot stuff, let's Netflix and chill, right? No. Real love is not shacking up. You know that it's love when promises are made and promises are kept. And God is calling to us through his promises. In fact, that's what the Jewish people call this book, God Called, because that's how it starts out, the book of Leviticus, with God speaking. And God is calling to us, and we are answering his call. And that is why you're here this morning instead of a hundred other places that you could be. That is why you are listening to this message instead of a hundred other things that you could be listening to, his word. Because God has called you, and there is a hunger in you, and there is a passion stirring and awakening in his church. All of you sense it. Have you not sensed him moving among his people? We want to know God. We want to walk with God. We want to be in a relationship with him, chosen and set apart. And we will never be the same again. So praise his name. Come on, give him glory. You thought the book of Leviticus was just a list of rules. Wrong. Leviticus is about relationship. 
relationships. You know, they happen over a period of a long time, right? You can't just go, you know, to the gym and work out for 30 hours straight and be good for the year. Like, I'm done. I did it, right? You don't benefit unless there's consistency over time. If you only brush your teeth once a year, what's going to happen? Okay, but if you brush your teeth for two minutes every day, it's going to be better for you, isn't it? Look, there wasn't one thing that I ever said or one thing that I ever did, and Kirsten was suddenly like, I'm going to have his babies. No. <laughs> no, she got to know me over a, a period of time. She spent time with me. She spent time with all this goodness, right? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I can't resist this guy, right? And even after 15 years of marriage, she still can't keep her hands off me. Oh, she's, not in, she's not in the room. That's all right. <laughs> it wasn't one date that I took her on. It wasn't one phone call that we had. It wasn't one gift that I bought her. It took place over time because relationships take time. And they happen because there's good and clear and consistent communication happening. And all the ladies said, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, it's February, people. Valentine's Day is coming around the corner, right? I'm going to spoil it for you. Love is not going to happen because of what you do on Valentine's Day. It's because of what you do every day. A deep relationship with God is not going to happen because one day you set aside to go be in his house or one day you walk down an aisle. His, that relationship is going to happen because of the time that you spend with him. Your spouse does not want some big grand gesture on Valentine's Day. She does not want a stuffed animal. I can promise you that. Okay? Stop that. She doesn't want the balloons. She wants you to look in her, in her eyes and tell her, you complete me. You are everything to me. I'm helping you out, guys. I'm helping you out. It's Sunday morning. <laughs> Just being together, that's the best gift that we have. Doing life together, that is love. And love, it grows and it develops and it matures and it changes us for the better in every way. And this month is going to be 15 years. Can you believe it? Of marriage. Right? I, I, am, I am excited, and I've had a lot of fun annoying her over those 15 years, and I, I look forward to doing it for a long time. <laughs> we still hold hands, because if I let go, she shops. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> oh, but we're having fun. You know, I, there were times when I would stay up all night because of something that, you know, she said to me. And now, you know, it's the sound of her voice that puts me to sleep. I mean, I'm out before she makes a point. Help, come on, come on, stay with me. Look, when Kirsten and I got together, we already had our own careers. We had our own taste in movies, our own books, our own furniture. We had our own debt. <laughs> and, and when our lives merged, so did all of our stuff, right, into that little apartment on Bridge Street. Her, her furniture was French country, right? Mine was uh, all this like aluminum, steel, modern stuff. And, you know, we navigated that. And by navigate, I mean all my stuff left. <laughs> right? Come on, guys. We have grown and we have changed together. 
We went from a double income, no kid couple to a two kid single income family, right? We went from apartment renters to homeowners. We've gone through health troubles and car troubles and the tests of life and, and you know, all kinds of stuff. We have learned to love and to trust each other. And listen, we have, we have learned how to battle the enemy together, right? We have learned how to serve each other. And sometimes we've learned how to process through disagreements, right? A good, a good wife knows how to forgive her husband when she's wrong. All right. You're still with me. All right, they're awake. All right. And while we are, we are two individuals, we're two individual lives, our, our lives and our hearts have merged, right? And we will never be the same. Don't want to be the same. That's what God is inviting us into with him. And God is listing here in Leviticus 26 all of the stuff that he is bringing with him to share with you in this relationship. And it's amazing, isn't it? But, it? but is that what relationships are about? Are relationships about, about the stuff? I mean, we've all seen those kind of relationships, haven't we? We've seen people willing to use each other for what they want and then dress that up like a relationship, right? Use somebody for their money or use somebody for their position or use somebody for their connections or use somebody for their looks or use somebody because you make me feel better about myself. There's this empty hole in me and you do it, right? And you keep trying to fill with that stuff, right? But the stuff runs out when your focus is on the provision. All the gifts and the stuff, it's going to run out. The money that you have today, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be gone this week, right? The, the computer is going to break down. It's going to need to be replaced. Your car is going to need to get fixed, right? The carpet's going to wear out. Beach Barbie, meet gravity, right? That's the hunk of hunk of burning love, meet the westward expansion. You know what I'm talking about? Look, they... They have personal trainers over at Fit Republic, but I, I think what I really need is someone to just follow me around and slap the donuts out of my hand. I think that that would be more helpful. Even the wine that Jesus made from water ran out. The bread and the fish that he multiplied from that kid's lunch was eventually eaten and consumed. Lazarus eventually died again. And when you're focused, but when you're focused on the provider instead of the provision, the one who does not lack anything, the one who is truth, the one who is life, then you will never run out because he never runs out. His love has no limit to what it will do and what it will provide. And he will never overdraw on his bank account. His grace lacks nothing and it needs nothing. And it is stressed by nothing and it is worried about nothing. And when you are focused, Focused on the one who is the great I am, you will not turn those blessings into idols. Because even though you might be surrounded by blessings and the goodness that he provides, it is incomparable to the strength and the power of his presence and his love and his grace at work in your life by who he is. He is a miracle. He is the source of all life and goodness. Now, now when I... Uh, when I have the, the remote controls, I tend to drift into the documentary section, you know, of the, of the thing, help, help us, Lord. And I got sucked into watching a documentary that I, I, I you know, I didn't think I was going to, I wasn't sure if I would bring this up this morning, but I, I want to share 
something with you. And I was drawn to this documentary because, because the documentary, the thrust of it, or the way that they were sort of promoting what they were trying to address in the documentary was, what has gone wrong with American Christianity? Right? And I have some ideas about that. And I was like, I want to know, I want to know what, what they think, you know? And, um, and I have to say that the thrust, the, the initial point of this documentary, I was like, they made, they're making some great points. I totally agree with this, right? Because, because you know, those of you who have been around for a while, we've seen some things go on in American Christianity over the course of a few decades, kind of wonder what's going on here, right? And I think one of the main points that they made that I really agreed with was, listen, we have got to make the gospel the centerpiece again, of our worship, who Jesus is, what he has done. It's got to be the center of, of everything that, that we do and everything that we are. It is the centerpiece of our faith. And we can't get lost in all of these things like, you know, uh, speak money into your bank account kind of stuff and, you know, 20 ways to feel better about yourself kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? We've got to make the gospel the centerpiece. It is who he is and what he has done. And I was like, I totally, I totally agree with that. Right? But then, uh, unfortunately, in this documentary, they drifted off into some other things, and it got, it got nasty. They started making personal attacks on people, um, and they, weren't, they were not addressing the problems uh, in a Jesus way, if I could just say it that way. It became a display of Christians devouring each other. And, and I couldn't help but think of that parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. Do you remember this story? Younger brother, he asks for his inheritance early, blows it all on partying. And then he has this epiphany. He's in a pig pen. Everything goes wrong. He wastes all the money. And then he makes up his mind to humble himself and go apologize to his father and beg him to be hired as a servant. But while he's still far way off, his father sees him and he runs to him. And he fully reinstates him into the family and throws this big party. And the older brother is completely triggered by this. Two brothers, neither of which understand the heart of the father until the end of the story. You see, one, one son was all about the stuff. He, he wanted to go after the blessing and the inheritance because the stuff was his focus, the selfishness of his heart, and he was just squandering it all. But when all the stuff was gone and the pain set in, he realized that what he really needed was to return to dad. Even if his dad would never reinstate him into the family, if he would just take him as a servant, because why? He knew the kind of a man his daddy was. He knew the character and the compassion of his father and the care that he showed even to his hired help. So he returned to his dad. But the older brother, the one who never left, he didn't understand the father either. And that truth doesn't really fully show up until the moment that he witnesses the generosity of his father on display. And then we get to see how petty and unloving the older brother has been the whole time. He was triggered even though his brother had been gone. He was comparing himself to the one who had left. I'm not like him. I'm better than him. See, Dad, I check all the boxes. I never ask you for anything. But as time wore on, you see the older brother becoming proud. And he felt wronged because he wasn't receiving the recognition that he felt he deserved. He was living with the Father, but he was not in relationship because he was filled with self-pity and resentment. You never gave me a party like this. You never asked, said the Father. You could have had one any time. You're always with me. And all that I have is yours. 
And Leviticus reveals God's blessings and his promises. And I, but I can't help but observe that sometimes people tend to fall into two extremes. You see, both sons wrongly focus on the gifts and not on the giver. And one extreme is all about the money and the prosperity and the give me. And it's always about the better thing, the next thing. Make me happy, God. Do more for me. And all we look at the stuff that we want but we don't have, just consuming. And maybe it's not money. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's ambition or success. And you're pursuing God, but you're doing it for ulterior motives. You want more position or power. Maybe you're with him because of the way he just he makes you feel. Make me feel good. Make me feel like I'm superior or better than others. And then you claim superiority because of the things that he's putting in your life. And we consume and consume. And eventually, like the prodigal son, we, all we can talk about or think about is what we're getting from God. But we're living for ourselves. Our own pleasure, our own comforts. And we'll serve him the way we want to. Right? I'll tell you how it's going to be done, right? We're not really in a relationship like that. And then there's the other extreme, which is the like spiritual victimhood status, the older brother. I mean, just think about this. Every day, this son sat across the table from his father, worked alongside him every day, and saw the face of his father with the despair, longing for the son that was gone. And yet when the good news comes that the son that was lost has returned and dad is throwing the party, instead of saying, yes, the son that was lost is is back, my brother is back, and now I can see the smile on the face of my father. I can see the joy and the light in his eyes again. And the dad that I love so much and work with every day, now he can put his arms around both of us and his heart is healed. No, he's triggered and he's resentful that forgiveness and position and celebration was given to someone who wasn't checking the boxes of obedience and doing all that was expected. He had a critical spirit because he was not in a relationship with the father. He was in business with the father. You see, business is an exchange, right? I provide this service for you and then you give me something I want in return. And the older brother provided a service and he was expecting something in return. Some of us are not in a relationship with the Father. We're in business with the Father. Trying to earn his favor by checking the boxes. And what you are doing, it looks good, but the motives, hmm. You see, when our motives are like that, it's not just wrong, it's sinful. Romans 14, everything that does not come from faith is sin. And that includes the stuff that we are doing, trying to win his favor and win his acceptance and win his approval when it is because of what Jesus has already done that we have all of those things. We can't earn that. Doing something to get something, that's business with God. And Jesus is so good to cutting right into this, right? Like after he multiplies the five loaves and two fishes, he's got millions of followers on Twitter. Everybody subscribes to his YouTube channel, right? They're all following him around instead of being like, hey, I'm Jesus, welcome back to my channel. Don't forget to subscribe, right? No, he slices into the motives. John 6, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. See, Jesus knows the motives, and he will call us on all of it. (laughs) And he's saying, you only love me because you feel like that you should, not because you want to know me, because I'm doing stuff for you. You came here because so what, what I could do for you, not because you want to give me everything that you are. 
Verse 27, don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Stop coming after me, you know, for this, for the swag, right? Verse 32, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then the people began to argue with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were like, what is this? What is this cannibal theology thing? We don't like it. We're out. And at this point, many of his disciples turned away and they left him. And Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, that's what I'm talking about. See, Peter, he understood it. He got it. He saw the miracles, and yet nothing was ever going to be better than the relationship he had with Jesus, right? He's got the words. He is the word. He is life. And what else is there? Peter's got the right perspective because God wants to be our one and only. He wants us to realize that he is more than enough. And there comes a point at our maturity and our development that the stuff just doesn't hold the appeal that it used to, right? My little kids, they get really excited at Christmas and on birthdays, you know, about the toys and the presents. And that's totally expected, right? But at my age, it's different, right? Just being together. Just, you know, reading the words that, that my wife or, or, or my family writes in a card. That's more than enough. Don't tell them that or I'm not going to get anything. <laughs> I don't need the stuff. When what I really need and I really enjoy is just our time together as a family. I enjoy the relationships and the stories and sharing. And like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I fought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So Jesus is asking, why have you come? Why are you here? Have you come to, to check a box to make a business transaction with me? Did you put your money in the offering because you wanted something from God? Did you come because you want to get something or just to be with him? Because he's here and he's here with us now. Not only did he promise to never leave us, he said, when you gather in my name, I'm there with you. And he's here now. And I would just like for a moment if we would just lift our hands to him and tell him, that we love you for your presence. Lord, we love you for who you are. And, and we know sometimes it must feel like that we just talk to you for stuff, like we want something from you. And we're sorry about that. We want you to know that our love for you is not about the stuff. It's not. It's not all the things you do for us. We love you because you loved us first. And we would ne could never deserve that. You show us what love is. You show us what love means. And you have given us your grace. And you have freed us and you have saved us. And if you never did anything else for us, you've already done more than enough for us to worship and serve and adore you forever. And right now in this place, Lord, we're not asking you. We're not asking you for anything. We want you. 
We want to know you. We want to walk with you, to be close to you. We want you to know that you are our God, our Father, and the one that we worship. Hallelujah. You know, I was thinking about this, and I couldn't help but remember the story from Judges, right? Um, The story of Jephthah, if you remember. And once again, the people of Israel, they'd fallen into idolatry, and they were not serving the Lord. And once again, he allows the enemies to come in and oppress, and and they cry out to God, and God sends this prophet to them. You remember the story? God sends this prophet to them, and the prophet says, here's what God says. I... I saved you from Egypt, and I saved you from these people, and these people, and these people, and these people. And every time I do it, you just keep going back to the idols, and you, you forget about me. And we just keep going around this revolving door. I'm obviously paraphrasing here. We just keep going around this revolving door. I'm done with that. I'm not coming to rescue you. Why don't you go run off to your little idols and see what they can do for you? <laughs> and you know, what, you know what they said? We know we have sinned. And they put away the idols, and they began to serve the Lord with no promise. With no promise. And you know what God did? He rescued them, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Because when you realize that you have God's love, and that he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you, the stuff doesn't really mean anything anymore, does it, compared to that? Hmm. It's easy to give it away because you've got true treasure. You have a love that will sustain you every day. You have a father that will show you his heart and show you his ways and share him and, with you. And he will teach you and he will never be alone again. And his grace is more than enough. And it's so much better than all of the blessings combined. And that's what Jesus has revealed to us. Because Jesus came to show us the love of the Father. And Jesus gave. And he gave, didn't he? Didn't he feed the 5,000? Didn't he cleanse the lepers? Didn't he welcome the outcasts and the sinners? And did he not give sight to the blind? And did he not heal the broken bodies? And did he not set free everyone that was bound? He was a friend to sinners. And he brought the dead to life. And that was not the end of his giving. He was just getting started. He gave away his reputation. And he gave away his body. And he gave away away his blood on a cross that you would know forgiveness. Then he went to a cross and he gave himself for you so that you would be adopted by the Father. And the only thing that he ever took from you was your sin. And he came to give us eternal life. Why don't you give him praise right now in this house? Jesus is Leviticus 26. Jesus shows us who God is. God is the giver, and God is the gift. Jesus holds nothing back from you. He gives everything, and he shows that God's greatest desire is to be with you. The God who made all things, God who needs no one and needs nothing, he wants one thing. He wants to love you. He wants to be loved by you. And the rest of chapter 26, it goes on to to describe all the consequences of taking that love and throwing it back in the face of God. And it's ugly. But the truth is that we have all done that. We have all felt the sting of that regret, haven't we? And you can go on, I encourage you, go on and read it yourself at some point. But let me just sum up the rest of the chapter. In spite of all of my blessings... 
in spite of my generous love for you, in spite of my faithfulness to you, you're going to blow it. And your self-centeredness, you will not return my love. You will love your sin. And basically everything that I have given you is going to wind up wasted. It's going to get broken. You're going to watch it get stolen from you. You will... You, are going to hurt so much, and there's going to be a lot of tears. And all those relationships that you ran after, that you thought were going to fulfill you, they're going to leave you empty and enslaved. And wave after wave of consequences and judgments and regrets are just going to crash over you. You know, I'm t- you, know, you, have, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is what's going on in the rest of the chapter. And, and he says, finally a moment's going to come in your life when the pain and the loss, they strip everything from you, and you're going to cry to me. You're going to call on me. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come get you. I'm going to take you in my arms. And I'm going to give my love to you. Because you'll finally have come to the place that you're going to realize that that is the one thing that you cannot be without. And by far the best part of any and all the thousands of his promises that he's given us is the end of that text that we were reading this morning. I will live among you, and I will not despise you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Fifteen years ago, I remember the night before Kirsten and I got married, we were sitting in a car, and I was saying goodnight to her and goodbye for the last time. Right? Right? Better than any of the, uh, of the wedding presents, better than the beautiful reception and all of the awesome things that happened at that ceremony was the fact that we would never have to say goodbye to each other. I'm closer to her than, than anyone else, and she is closer to me, and I don't have to um, go shopping anymore, right, for anybody else. <laughs> it's awesome. Praise God. I'm not dating anymore. She's not dating anymore. When you allow God to live with you, he is yours. And you are his. And you can stop looking, looking for things and people to just stuff that empty hole in you and try to give you fulfillment that only he can give. You say the word idolatry and think people think, you know, fires and drums and carved ugly statues. No, idolatry boils down to this. It's when you put anything in the place that God belongs, even if it's something he gave you. The gift will never be more precious than the one who gave it. And part of the wedding vows say forget, forsaking all others, right? And so when we got married, Kirsten was giving a rejection notice, a final notice, right, to all of those mediocre boys <laughs> in her past. <laughs> she was turning away from all the guys that she ever dated or wanted to date, and she and I were saying no to any other future possibility, right? Anyone else that might want to come in and encroach on that? No, it was after we made this promise to each other. Like, no matter what the circumstances are, if we have a lot, if we have nothing, if we have a nice house, if we're living in a tent, I choose you. I choose to love you Amen. and only you as long as I'm alive. We, see, we made the promise first. And then we got to be together, right? And that's the best part. And God is making that same promise to you. He's saying, I choose you. I choose you. I choose to spend my life on you, for you, because I want to spend my life with you. 
and I'm bringing all I am with me into this relationship. And he is everything that you ever wanted. All the places and the stuff and the relationships and the affection and the status and the promotion and the provision. And he says, they don't even, they don't even come close to how good I am. And you don't even have the capacity to contain all of the goodness and the love that I have for you. I want to bring all of the greatness of me into your life to live and to walk with you. It's, it's the world's greatest proposal. What is your answer going to be? Let's stand and pray in this house this morning.